I didn't get a chance to get up to Topeka over the last couple of weeks, but I want to go over several things that would that uh, have come out of your office. Uh, we'll start with a letter that you joined several other attorneys general in sending to the administration regarding the FAA. Now, the Federal Aviation Administration's uh, reauthorization of funding is still out there in Congress as well, so maybe this is a timely letter for them to to get while Congress is still dealing with the purse strings a little bit, but but your point was that uh, they need to make safety of passengers paramount. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the FAA was created back in 1958. I was solely, almost exclusively, I should say, to ensure safe travel when it comes to air travel. And, uh, and of course, it's the FAA that has the air traffic controllers. And I think most Americans would be shocked to learn, as as was I, uh, that in uh, late 2022, they adopted a new five-year plan for the agency changing their hiring practices to focus on diversity, specific race, specifically racial diversity. Uh, and then they early, uh, just a few months ago, they acknowledged that doing so, or one of the, the representatives of the FAA acknowledged that if you focus on diversity, it will have a cost and safety. There is a trade-off. And of all the agencies, uh, this one, I think most Americans would agree, is one we have. I don't care whether it's the pilot flying the plane or the air traffic controller guiding the plane, or for that matter, a, a doctor operating on you, I think we would all agree you want the most qualified person, regardless of skin color, uh, to be doing that that operation or that, that, that job because lives depend on it. Yeah, it, it, this is about proficiency, and um, anyone who would accuse those that write about this of uh, of not caring about diversity, what you would say is, no, actually I don't. Red and yellow, black or white, I don't care as long as somebody can do the job, but don't put somebody out who can do it better. That's exactly right, and, and you know, we want the most qualified people to be working in that agency. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter what their sex is, what their age is, what their color is, just higher merit. And it appears that that agency is no longer doing that uh, because they you know, changed their hiring practices. And so that's, that's what the letter was. And, and in addition, we pointed out that at the very same time that they were making this shift in their hiring practices last summer, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in the college admission case that it is a violation of the 14th Amendment to for government agencies you know, which includes the FAA and which includes school districts that are not school to, uh, colleges that receive federal funding, uh, they, they cannot uh, take race into account uh, when hiring people or, in that case, when admitting students. All right. So that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about. Also, there were some charges filed in an election fraud case by your office um, regarding a man in Florida. And can you explain just what you know about that case and kind of how that worked? Yeah, I think this uh, case is very interesting and very troubling at the same time. So uh, we, uh, with the assistance of Florida law enforcement, arrested a Florida man who had been in Kansas uh, collecting, collecting the wrong word, let's just say obtaining signatures for the no labels political party. Not saying he was working for the party. He may have been working for a, a some vendor that no labels contracted with. We don't know that at this time. But he was forging signatures, uh, and we charged him with uh, 28 counts of election forgery uh, on petitions to get the no labels party um, 
registered as an an official party that would be on the presidential uh, ballot. And, you know, that's a, that's a violation of the law. And we found out about the case, about this, this problem um, from county election officials. Uh, He he apparently, well, we don't know exactly, but he'd been, you know, pulling these names at random uh, from around the state. And and some people noticed that, Hey, that person wouldn't have signed, or I know that person. Let me ask her if she signed this petition. And uh, from those tips at the county level, we conducted an investigation statewide and uh, it, it just shows, you know, how this kind of uh, election fraud can very easily go undetected unless somebody notices something, you know, suspicious and notifies authorities. And so, uh, I'm using the authority of the attorney general to be the original prosecutor in election fraud cases uh, to bring these charges. And it's, um, you know, it's it's a big deal. I believe any kind of election fraud is problematic, but this one, in this case. This individual was taking dozens of names of Kansans and fraudulently claiming that they had signed his uh, his petition sheets. Okay, so do we know, have you gone over with a fine-tooth comb whether No Labels has enough signatures to be on the ballot or not then? Well, that, that's interesting you ask. The Secretary of State's office is has received, uh, you know, many hundreds of pages of signatures, and they're in the process of determining whether No Labels has enough signatures. But this, uh, this, this wrinkle may affect what they are doing because it turns out that many of those signatures are almost certainly fraudulent. Sure. And so I'm going to guess that you guys will be in pretty heavy communication. First of all, you used to do that job. And secondly, um, that's just kind of how that works. You and yeah, your, your office and Scott's will go back and forth and say, hey, uh, he, if there are any more issues like this one, I, I imagine you'll find out about them fairly quickly. We certainly will remain in contact with them and, and let them know signatures. We have determined that you know they provide a basis for a criminal prosecution, so therefore we're, we're certain that they're fraudulent. Last week, your office held a press conference at the State House regarding legislation that was introduced um, about the death penalty and a, a, an additional potential method of executing people if that is something that they've been convicted of and they've gone through all the appeals process. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So we introduced this bill uh, and and held the press conference for the simple reason that right now Kansas has the death penalty on the books, but we don't have a, a means of actually achieving the execution of an inmate. Uh, when the time comes and all the appeals have been exhausted. So, you know, my point to the legislators was, look, we're lying to the the state of Kansas is lying to the people of Kansas if it says we can carry out the death penalty right now. Uh, The Kansas law written in 1994 says that uh, Kansas, you know, has the death penalty and so carry out the the execution by lethal injection. The problem is that over the last few years, lethal injections become very difficult because the pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer have said, we're not going to allow our chemicals to be used in the death penalty because they politically oppose it. And the European Union countries have said, we're not going to allow the chemicals to be uh, exported to the United States for use in the death penalty. And so it's become very difficult to obtain them. Indeed, in South Carolina recently, they they had to postpone two executions because they still couldn't obtain the uh, the drugs. So this bill would simply add, uh, do two things. It would add uh, or uh, hypoxia as another method of execution, which is sort of the up and coming and is currently viewed as the um, most painless method of execution. 
and would do that and would also uh, specify in our laws exactly how the final uh, order of execution is to be uh, transmitted from the courts. Our law didn't explain that, and so that would have been another gap. Anyway, so the, that's what the bill does, and it says, you know, it doesn't really raise the issue, are we going to have the death penalty or not? It points out, if we're going to have the death penalty, let's let's be ready. And we do have a couple cases that uh, could be finally uh, ready for execution to be carried out within the next year or two. Um, and, and many people may not know this. We haven't executed anyone in Kansas uh, since 1965. So going on 60 years ago, and you know, we have nine people on death row. Uh, before those nine, there were, there were two others who died of natural causes. Uh, so these families who were on death row and the state was unable to carry out the execution because they died uh, of natural causes. And it's really important for the families of the victims to see justice here. And I don't want those families to have to wait even longer when the, fine time, the time finally comes and if the state of Kansas isn't ready yet because we haven't changed our law to allow for another method of execution. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a hypothetical, Chris, related to this. Um, Pfizer has a plant that makes drugs in McPherson. Um, has there been any work in the legislature to say, hey, if you're going to do business in Kansas and you're going to make drugs in Kansas, one of the drugs you're going to you're going to make, if it's legal to do so, is death penalty drugs because Kansas statute says we have to have these? You know, it's funny you ask that question because I've thought that same thing myself. It's a company that has a huge presence in Kansas. A presence in Kansas. Why in the world would they be taking a a political position that it, that opposes the very state that is hosting them? Um, I have not heard of anything in the legislature to you know to confront Pfizer that way and say, "Hey, look, you know, if you want to be a good neighbor, you want to be a good client, a good resident of Kansas, you know, please help us out here." Right. So anyway, so nothing on that regard as far as uh, locally is concerned. One other issue I want to get to real quickly in just the couple of minutes we have, and I apologize for the lack of time on this, um, but there's a handful of school districts in Kansas, none close to us anymore because uh, Mays has decided to change their policy after talking to you guys, uh, but that were basically allowing students to call themselves what they want at school and not tell parents about it. Yeah, that's right. There were six school districts in Kansas that had policies in place where the teacher was prohibited from informing the parents uh, of any transitioning that the student was doing. If the student was using a different name, different pronouns, the teacher, the teachers were forbidden to be informed. It was a these were parental exclusion policies, and, and that violates uh, the constitutional right that the United States Supreme Court has recognized for over a hundred years of the right of parents to control the upbringing and education of their children. We informed the school districts of this, and to their credit, uh, Belle Plaine and Mays, uh, in, you know, in the Wichita area, they both changed their policies immediately. And, you know, it probably reflects that someone put that policy in place without the school board being fully informed of what, you know, what it would do. However, four remaining districts have dug in their heels, apparently, and have not changed, uh, and those are Kansas City, Olathe, Topeka, and Shawnee Mission. Um, in you know, in my view, and I think in the view of most people, that parents absolutely have a right, but not only that, a duty to be involved in their children's upbringing, and for school districts to be concealing this from parents is is not only unconstitutional; it's just wrong. All right, uh, Chris, how old are your daughters? 
my daughter is uh, the youngest is eight and the oldest is 20. Got five daughters. And this is my this is my point. I have three boys and they're all in their teens. And I think either you or I, if if we found out one of our children was identifying themselves differently at school than what they are at home and then what we have grown up to teach them, we would want to know that. We would want to know it, and we would we would care for our children. We'd we'd have concern. We'd want to you know absolutely uh, you know <laughs> comfort them and 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 help them in whatever difficulty they were having. But the idea that the school would hide it from the parents, which had you know is a horrible assumption that somehow the parent doesn't deserve to know, or that the school knows better, uh, or that there's you know that the school should hide a process from the parents that the parents have every right to know about is it's just wrong. So. Uh, you know, I, I think if we, we've encouraged two school districts. We've informed them, and they've made, they've made a change. We hope the other school districts will make a change, but at least we've informed them that they, you know, they're subject to lawsuit as well. And there was a, a lawsuit uh, in another school district in North Central Kansas uh, where a teacher sued and uh, opposing one of these policies, uh, saying, "Look, it violates my religious uh, free exercise rights if I have to uh, conceal this information from parents." So. It's a real legal problem, and, you know, fortunately a couple school districts have already corrected it, but it, it still persists in Kansas.